Wow. Guys, we did it. We did it. We, we got we finally got a deal. I, I'm not, I, you know what? I don't sound excited enough. We got a deal with William Nylander done. Alino, you called it. 6.9. For six years. So why don't you talk about it? Because you're the contract expert. Yeah, so uh, I was talking to a source about, you know, William Nylander. And they told me that they're closing in. They're finalized. They're, they're close to 6.9 for six years. That'd be a comfortable number. The next night, after I tweet this, which is... The Friday at 2 p.m. The next night in second intermission on Hockey Night in Canada, Chris Johnston brings up, oh, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs and William Nylander would uh, be comfortable with $6.9 million for six years. I don't know where they heard six years from, but I was the only one who tweeted that. So more days go on and uh, <laughs> all the drama, Nylander, they're saying $7 million, $8 million. I'm just keeping it up there, even though people are tweeting me saying you're a troll, you're this and that. I'm like, we'll see. We'll see when it happens. The internet's a funny place. It is. And uh, they even said, I heard there was even a trade on the table between the Leafs and another team. I think St. Louis was one of the front runners in that. But they did talk to William Nylander earlier to try and lower down the price to maybe 6.6, 6.3 area. But he said no. 30 minutes before the deadline, Nylander calls Dubas and pretty much says, yo. <laughs> I want to play. I'm not sitting out. Let's do this. Let's work something out. We got uh, 30 minutes, and uh, that's what happened. 6.9 million for six years is what was reported. I uh, made sure I posted a nice picture with my tweet right in the middle because we love how tweets are timestamped nowadays. And yeah, I was the first one to say 6.9 for six years. You heard it here first, Giancarlo Alino, the one with the call <laughs> about like a week before it all happened. But I just want to talk about where I was at the time that this happened. So I was at work and I got to work at 3.30 and I was saying to everybody that was interested in hockey at my work, I'm like, listen, guys, today's a big day. Today's the day where William Nylander either gets booted out of town or he signs. So I remember it was 4.30 and um, we were doing like this Christmas lunch upstairs. And I go upstairs and I check my phone and it's like, uh, report, seven teams interested in William Nylander. So I was like, I was like, oh shit, he's probably gone. So then I go back downstairs, it's like 4.54 and like the deadline is five. So I'm like, oh, like this isn't looking good. 458 comes, leaves agreed a 6.9. It's like, geez, you're, you're talking about right down to the wire. Do you guys know, like, why do you think he, he left it down way to, like, the fucking last second? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> what a situation. Like, what was the original number from... He wanted eight, I think. It was it was eight. Like, when training camp started, it, I heard, like, eight, seven and a half was probably, like, the minimum. Yeah. But, like, yeah, yeah like... Pretty much, like, they're thinking long-term here, obviously, because obviously it's uh, it's Marner and Matthews, and then that's the main goal. So and then that's pretty much the whole big picture on why it took so long, I think. It's just, it's one of those where you, you look at it as a hockey fan and you ask yourself, why did it take this long? If you really wanted to always be in Toronto, like, why did it literally take you 25 games to realize, I want to be a part of this team? I get it. The whole agent and uh, player kind of relationship with uh, situations like these, it can really affect um, basically the moral like of your team, yeah. of the agent. And that could just really affect you as a player, as a person. You know, we're all humans. We, we have emotions and all that. So looking at 
looking at it from like a standpoint of you're a Toronto Maple Leaf fan. You look at this after the whole interview and Babcock saying, oh, I'm confident he's staying here. He loves it here. Well, like, I understand he loves it here, but if you really love it here and you really, you want to boost your career and you want to get the eight mil that you wanted, why would you sit out 25 games, um, you know, just to get a contract that you're, in the long run, I, the way I look at this, I don't even think Nylander was really satisfied with it. I feel like this just kind of had to happen because... Again, 4.58 at 5 o'clock. If you don't sign, you're sitting the whole year. So, I don't know. Like, I love William Nylander. I just think he should have really, like, took this a little bit more as as a pro. I get it, you know, the agent thing. But at the end of the day, he signed. He's a Leaf now. We could all breathe. Where do you guys now have the Leafs in the whole NHL? Because right now, I think they sit second in the league behind Tampa. And to be honest... The games that I've been watching lately, their offense is better than any other t- any other in the league. Matthews is scoring over a goal a game, and it's not fair. So, what do you guys think um, with Nylander's addition? How much better will th- will he make the Leafs this season? So much better. We're just we're very deep offensively, obviously, and second in the league right now. I think by the end of the year, we'll maintain that top five spot overall. Hopefully, everyone can stay healthy. We have Matthews back. I think we have our full lineup. Uh, I would, yeah. For the first yeah. time, yeah. Lebo gone now. They traded him, so Captain uh. slots in, and uh, Connor Brown slots in. Freddie the Goat comes in once in a while. But for, for uh, backtracking to Nylander, I don't think fans will, like, I still love Nylander. I don't think that's going to change for any of the fans. I just feel like every player should have a right to exercise what they think they're worth. And it just happens that this was the longest holdout in history and it happened to be a leaf so all this buzz in the world yeah. <laughs> but you know it's finally done now and leafs are that much better but when you even think about it too like if he could have gotten eight million there's teams out there there's stupid teams i would have probably even said you know what you want nine million we'll bring you on for eight years so if he's taking a little bit of a pay cut in his mind he's gonna come into this that he wants to prove that he's worth eight mil and it might help the leafs long term he might want to score more and take more risks offensively so in the long run, with him and Matthews together now, Marlowe goes down to Kadri's line, and you have Marner and Tavares. It seems deadly right now, and I think they're better than Tampa. They're just their goal they're defensive, and goaltending is probably in Tampa's favor, but I think in a playoff series, I wouldn't rule out Toronto going past them. It's, it's crazy. We looked last year at this Leaf team, and they had basically the same lineup that we just see now, and we faced Boston last year. And a lot of us were saying before the whole playoffs, we're saying, well, you know what? Washington is the better team than Boston statistically. But we as Leaf fans were more confident to face Washington last year. At least I was more confident when we – because remember two years ago when we faced Washington in the first round, we pushed them. Like we looked dominant in some games. I think was it the first five games? I think were one goal and like four of the five are OT, yeah. something like that. Yeah. We so, were in a spot though where we just made the playoffs. Yeah, and they were the President's Trophy. So we were like, proving ourselves we, at that time. We could have gotten fucking hammered in all four games, and no one would have said anything because we were still like the youngest team in the league at the time. It's just like I'm looking at this team now, and William Nylander now finally returning. And you look at now Vasilevsky's been injured with a, uh, I think, a broken foot. Yeah. And the, the the top line in Boston now, Bergeron's injured. 
Marshawn hasn't been producing as much as he has in the last two seasons. Obviously, Pasternak, a completely different story. He's one of the best in the game. But I like right now, I like the Leafs' chances in regards to matchups in the East. I don't really see them losing to a team like in dominant fashion. Like Even though a lot of people, a lot of insiders, a lot of analysts, a lot of fans... They have their opinions in saying the Leafs have shit defense. The Leafs need another defenseman to, you know, get to the next level, reach the Stanley Cup finals. Honestly, a lot of people say defense wins your championships. The last two years, we've seen offense and scoring just soar in the league. We've seen a hunt, like six guys last year had, over, I think maybe more than six, like 10 guys had over a point a game. Like, you had a couple guys hit 100 points last year. Can offense win you championships? I think it's proven. We saw Pittsburgh, another surprise, too, because they're not even in a playoff spot right now. But you see something similar with them and the Leafs. They need have that one elite defenseman that can push the puck up, like Chris Letang. The Leafs have Morgan Riley right now, who's going to be up in that level. They have a big three up front, Malkin, Kessel, Crosby. The Leafs have Tavares, Marner, and Matthews. So... I think there's a good comparable there. And then Washington used that last year with Ovechkin just going off in the playoffs. So I think the offense is winning championships now. It's a different game shifting from when L.A. would win, when they have that complete balance team, Chicago. So I like where the league is right now. And offense in the playoffs is fun to watch and exciting team with the Leafs. It's definitely where the game is trending. I'm kind of with you there. Like, if you remember the Penguins' second cup on the back-to-back, Ron Hainsey was playing 20 minutes a night. So as long as you have mobile guys back there that can move it up to the Malkins and the Crosbys, I think you'll be fine. Plus, we also have Freddie Anderson in that, which is also a gift for us. So I think we got it all right now. The only reason why I am visiting this and asking this question is because I've looked at so many guys – like for opinions and you know to learn about the game and learn about the strategies and everyone is still stuck on this defense wins championships and I'm looking at I'm comparing the LA Kings of the 2013 the 2012 where they came in as an eight seed no one really understood how good they were and they literally ran over everybody they ran over the Canucks they ran over I'm trying to remember. I think it was Arizona in the conference finals. They were, they beat the Devils. That was just that was a surprising playoffs in general. But still, you look at defense and how important it's been over the years. At the end of the day, though, if your goaltender kind of shows up in the postseason, like regardless if you're scoring, if you're not, you can uh, you could go far. Like Jonathan Quick put up stupid statistics when they won the cup. Like even look at Flurry last year with yeah, Vegas. Literally the yeah. only reason. He like <laughs> it like was so good. I don't know where that happened. Every <laughs> every everyone looks at Vegas's run last year, and I don't want to point out any names or mention anybody, but they say that the refs help them all the time, and I'm cr- it's crazy to think that you have a a expansion team go to the Stanley Cup final. Why did they go to the Stanley Cup final? You have guys like March Assault who are going. Riley Smith, David Perron was over a point a game. I'm pretty sure he only played like 60 games, but still he had like 60 points, something like that. But you had a guy like Marc-Andre Fleury, who not only was a Vesna finalist all year in the regular season, but he produced in the postseason. I think he had like a 936 save and like five shutouts in the postseason alone. So if Freddie Anderson can basically post a 925 in the playoffs, 
with this defense right now we have, I like our chances basically going in the Stanley Cup Finals because everyone is putting pressure on Dubas saying, we need to we need to trade someone at the deadline for a D, and then we could go to the finals. You know what? Right now, I would kind of take it easy. We signed Nylander. Um, just kind of roll with this team for now because we were 18 and eight without Nylander. Actually, 19 and eight without Nylander. So I would just roll with this team for now, and um, let's say okay, let's say worst case we go on a losing streak. We lose like four straight games. It's gonna come. You know, yeah. Then every, every then you could that. then you could finally say okay, is it Oshiganov? Is it Zaitsev? Is it Gardner? It's Zaitsev. Like who who would be who would be the on man out? I believe yeah, probably Zaitsev or Gardner. Those are the two guys I'm leaning towards because they're contracts. But right now, I don't know. I'd roll with this team and I kind of just see what happens. I know, uh, I don't know if it's I've, like hearing rumors that they have long-term interest in Gardner. Yeah. I have no idea how they would go about that. Cuz we it's already his have contract problems. too and he was blamed for the playoffs last year that collapsed in game seven. So yeah, I don't think he can demand too much, but if he's going to probably want a similar contract. And Chris, to go on your point about like defense winning championships, we saw Nashville every year just invest in defense. Like Shea Weber, Ryan Suter. Then they had P.K. Subban, Ryan, like Yossi. And, uh, you know, all these guys come in, but they haven't really been able to win the cup. And now they've really changed their approach, go on after the offensive guys. And it's... Help them a little bit, but I think everyone's noticing offense is the key way to go. Well, yeah. a, a great example is look at Winnipeg last year. Yeah. They uh, they have the D, like they have really good defense, but they're not defensive defensemen. Most of them are offensive-minded, puck-moving. Like you have Josh Morrissey. You have obviously Dustin Bufflin, who is basically a forward. You have, uh, okay, the, the defensive guys last year that I can remember were Kulikov and like Enstrom. And those were basically the only guys that were kind of defensive, but they didn't—they didn't really play a lot. They played maybe 17 minutes, whereas a guy like a Bufflin and a Morrissey would play like 24 minutes a night. So you have the offensive ability, like stacked teams like Winnipeg with Line A, Shifley, Ehlers, uh, Wheeler, Perot. Like they had all those guys last year, and you know we saw them lose to Vegas surprisingly because of Flurry. <laughs> um, but anything is possible. Like, it could switch every year. Like, last year we saw offense basically won Ovi's first cup. Yeah. Like, that was amazing to see. Uh, Pittsburgh, like, because of their offense. The Kings, because of their defense. Maybe this year, I don't know, maybe someone will obvi- will just shut down everyone and they win because of the, the, the defense. But when you look at it from the Leafs standpoint, you can't look at it and say – this team is a like this team can't win a cup because they don't have defense. You can't be saying that, especially as an analyst. You got to look at what they have and you got to work with it. That's basically how every team works. Yeah. So if they have to make a move at the deadline, do it. Don't rush. Gardner Zaitsev to me are the odd ones out. Maybe if you have to package like a Hyman or a Brown in there. That's all I really have to say about that. I really hope the Leafs can go over the like go over the first round demons go far go to the Stanley Cup finals with this Nylander signing I so I think that yeah. I would trade Gardner though yeah keep him that's a top four defenseman who plays a roughly over 20 minutes a game and then if you lose that guy so that's your second most mobile defenseman back there and then after everything we just talked about I don't know I think I would hold on to him and then possibly let him walk like JVR and Bozak yeah. did because how much are you really going to get for him anyways and with yeah. all the young guys we have coming up to take that spot 
And also, too, with that, like every year there's a team, like all the teams have someone coming in their lineup, a rookie, during the playoffs. So what if Timothy Lilgren, I don't want to butcher his name, but what if he comes up and like has a great showing in January and then the Leafs put him in the playoff run? This could be his coming out party. So. Wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. What if, him and Sandine have been shining in, in uh, down in the A, so wouldn't be surprised. But enough of that. Um, we've been talking about the Leafs for quite some time transitioning now to we're going to talk about now wwe and the first thing i want to ask is what the fuck (laughs) i want to talk about okay you want to talk about viewership you want to talk about attendance raw lately has been one of the worst like one of the worst shows on television that i've seen in a very long time i saw a picture someone tweeted about monday's raw there was a whole section that was empty, like a whole, a whole section. And it's crazy. You make millions and billions, Vince, but you can't put out a good, consistent show with the stars you have. Did you just call him out on our show? I just did. Oh, he's definitely listening. <laughs> it's been like a month straight where it has just not been clicking with anything. You're trying to insert Corbin I think way too much into stuff and I get the whole Drew thing you're trying to make everything revolve around him and Lashley and and it's just flopping every week it's just not interesting it's the same thing over and over what are your guys thoughts on this I think you kind of answered it there it's the with as much as I like Corbin I don't want to see him a third of the show yeah like he takes up way too much time and for me it's um it's every time they do this authority figure thing with the heel GM, it just sucks the life out of everything, because it does. Because everyone's invested in this authority story mode now, like Finn Balor and Lashley and McIntyre and Elias and Corbin, they're all invested in this and they can't go outside of it. It's, I don't know. It just sucks the life out of me. Cause you go to SmackDown and then there's more opportunity yeah. there, and, and Drake's doing a sick job on 205. Like I don't want to see Corbin in the main event every week. Yeah, but also, too, with Raw, like, I don't know what you're seeing, but the Lucha House Party, what the hell is going on with them? Their faces, and they're having handicap matches with the heels every week. And the commentary team is totally fucking blind. (laughs) They're able to have three-on-one, two-on-one. It's a one-on-one match, but there's Lucha House Party rules. They're the baby faces. Like, they're supposed to be cheered, and they're beating up on the heels. The poor Revival every week has to go (laughs) three-on-one with these guys. How's that fair? What's then, going on? Don't get me started with the revival. Don't don't get me started. They should have been tag team champs like five months ago. Yeah. Should be running the division as we speak. I love AOP. I love them, but they're not a team to be running any division. Yeah, I think they caught up from NXT too early. To be honest, I just want to I want to talk first about the opening segment of Raw. In what the. F- What's going on with the women's division right now? And Ronda, so so you had Rousey and Natalia versus Nia Jax and Tamina on Raw. And I don't even think the match started. I think they just got beat up the riot squad by the Riot Squad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we weren't a part of that rivalry at all. So like, I just I don't care. Okay, I don't get the whole now Natalia the injury angle. Is she she's not going to be there for Rousey? I guess in her corner. The odds are stacked against Rousey. You have to believe that Rousey's going to lose, but she's obviously not going to lose. Nia Jax, to me, is not a credible... I think we talked about this last week. She's not a credible opponent for Ronda at all. I may have went off on that. Yeah, so just the whole thing about that, 
the one thing I liked about Raw, like this is rare, was the open forum with Banks, Bailey, and Alexa Bliss. Oh, you like that? I don't. I just <laughs> that was staged though. That was an uh, open forum. The, the, was... the only the only reason why I liked it was because it kind of hinted finally at like a division, a tag division. If that's the oh, case, yeah, then I'm fine. It's happening though. It's and happening. you know what? If this means you have Bliss as GM for the women's division, and you have like let's say Corbin as the GM for the whole Raw, that's fine. But eventually, I do believe that Bliss will take over as the whole GM, and I think she will do a fantastic job. If they do that, though, stick to your lane. Yeah, yeah. don't yeah don't yeah. don't go overboard like Stephanie McMahon yeah. and come out every week and open and start an alliance. Like, don't do that. I hate it so much. But yeah, um, basically, I, I I do like what, where they're kind of hinting with the the whole uh, the women's tag division. You need Bailey and Sasha to start that because they're like one of the best. In the in the industry, would they have like uh, for each brand though, or just one women's tag? Titles? Yeah, I think they would have it for each brand. But I think the plan right now, uh, and I was on a barn bur- a barn burner wrestling show, and Joseph Pasek heard from sources that Trish Stratus and Lead are going to be facing Sasha and Bailey for the inaugural titles when they eventually come out. So I think that's a good idea because when you look at women's tags on uh, Raw and SmackDown, you have the Iconics, Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville. The Riot Squad and now Sasha and Bailey. So if you can build off of that and slowly bring women up from NXT into tag roles, I think it might help them in the long run and their product going forward. I I, I really do love this idea. Um, they're very like even uh, you sent today um, in 2019. There's rumors that they're gonna do a uh, like a queen is queen oh, of the yeah. ring. Yeah, like the king of the ring tournament. Yeah, like that 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 would be very interesting to see. But anyways, moving forward. Uh, I also want to discuss kind of the whole Drew McIntyre, Dolph Ziggler, hoorah, and that basically Drew said that I've used you the whole time to kind of, you know, elevate myself to the next level, and obviously Dolph did not like that, so uh, they had a match later on in the night, and Pinello, tell us the result of that. Finn Balor interfered, and uh, Dolph Ziggler rocked him with the super kick to pick up the 1-2-3, first pinfall loss for Drew McIntyre on Monday Night Raw. And what does that mean for Dolph Ziggler? You know what? It can mean a lot of things, but he'll probably just vanish like he's done the last 10 years, which is very unfortunate because everyone's like expecting this heel turn. Like, But in my mind, why do they have to break up? Why can't they just go their separate ways? Because you finally rejuvenated Dolph Ziggler, and this guy's a star now. You know, since he won the U.S. title and then vanquished it, and then the Royal Rumble, and then the IC title, now the Raw Tag Team titles, like, this guy's a star again. You made him. And then they, they, they do the baby face turn just like that on a limb. To me, it was just way too rushed, and I did not like it. I like the Drew McIntyre's promo, though. Did you hear him go off on the roster like that? Like, everyone's in it too busy with video games and looking at their phone. They just want to collect paychecks. And Drew McIntyre comes out to the ring and proves it every week. He wants to see that spot of being number one. Like that fiery promo from Drew. And uh, wish a lot of more people would use that approach in their promos instead of just coming out every week and being boring but maybe that's why raw is the way it is and uh we saw a lot of seats missing so (laughs) it's it's just um you you see you see a situation in that you want to elevate someone drew mcintyre is the guy to elevate here but dolph ziggler is also a guy that you have elevated over the last two three years with the starting with the miz uh the miz feud 
and then gaining credibility, winning the IC title, then winning the United States, then then vanquishing it and teasing, oh, I'm leaving WWE, coming back at the Royal Rumble. Coming out at 30 is no cake. That's a big deal, coming out at 30. He got eliminated too early, whatever. <laughs> then he aligns himself with Drew. Honestly, they were probably the hottest act for three months. All of the summer, it was those two guys. Now, like Pinello said, I feel like it is rushed, but at the end of the day, I feel like the face turn for Dolph Ziggler may be one of the one of the worst things yeah. that can happen to him because again, he can get the Finn Balor treatment for all we know after this. He can literally just go off. He could be one of the greatest technical wrestlers. Go do your thing every week. You're one of the best. We all know you are. He's been f- flaunting it for I don't know how long, saying he's he deserves. You know, like we've seen all the backstage interviews, like him going off. I don't have to discuss that, but. This face turn could literally make him vanish. It just feels like a stepping stone for Drew. Yeah. That's it. That's that's like, it. Either way, Drew's getting over. Why does Dolph have to be that guy? I don't. To me, I don't get it. Because they see him as a little in-ring technician. Go do your thing, uh, Dolph. Go do those. You know. You know what? You know what I think they're trying to do with Dolph. And I'm not trying to like say that they're not creative, but I I don't know what it is. I feel like they might even try and make him tur- like turn him turn him back into a Daniel Bryan of like 2014. Make him look like the, like he doesn't have a shot in hell to beat Drew McIntyre, but like he gets it done, and he's like that underdog that like everybody loves. You know what I mean? If anything, if this is what the face turn, like means for for Dolph, I feel like they should go in that direction where he should face guys like Lashley, guys like Drew, like guys that are just way bigger than him, and just like keep like keep beating them, and if that means oh I get an IC title shot against Dean Ambrose in the future. Then, like, so be it. But if you're literally going to face Drew McIntyre, you're going to pin him on Raw, his first loss on Raw, and then, like, in a month's time, we're not going to hear from you? Like, then that's just something that kind of, that upsets, that upsets the fans. So I really hope they don't put Dolph in a corner like that, but it wouldn't be the first time he's he's gotten that treatment. But anyways, I just want to quickly discuss um, what's going on with Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins because... Uh, it's you know what Dean Ambrose is one it's probably one of the top heels right now in the company but with this segment that we saw on Raw I feel like he was trying too hard to get heat like you know when there's those those heels that they just naturally like the Miz like they just naturally come out and you boo the shit out of them that's just how it is with Dean he's been over for so long he came out here tonight wearing a gas mask saying oh I don't like you people here like just just be yourself just be a dick like you don't have to do all this lame gas mask stuff yeah. like, i feel like it, he's trying too hard to get heat and like i understand it but i don't know i right now this with this rivalry i don't really like it i thought they would go all in with this feud but clearly i don't think they are what do you guys think on this feud so far i i like the gas mask <laughs> i found it pretty funny i don't know just because it's so different but like when it comes to the cheap pops like Ripping on the city for me is like the easiest way to get heat, or they're the laziest way, I should say. And he, yeah. he did that a lot when the crowd went silent, and then he would just rip on the crowd, and then oh, boom! Like oh yeah, that's how you got them. And those but, needle segments when he got the needle. Though it's for me, that's refreshing. It's funny, yeah. and like he's, you could still take him serious, like a Kevin Owens, like he's serious, but he's kind of joking, like kind of like that. I'm kind of digging it so far. The match will obviously be amazing. To me, the build-up's fine. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I'm a little. 
mixed on that because I was good investing in it until that needle thing. I'm like, oh, he has to get a rabies shot because of what? Because of that one thing. So, but I think Chris, I agree with you that he's trying too hard because you look at SmackDown and Daniel Bryan. How is he's been like the most cheered guy, and then how does he get people to hate him? It's just fickle like ten thousand times, and then comes out like he just lost his damn mind. I guess he's saying like everyone's fickle, no one cares about him. He makes Miz, he's saying stuff, and Miz is just looking at him with that face like, what the hell's wrong with this guy? It's like Mick Foley all of a sudden, he's just going nuts. So that's a way to get heat, and the way Dean Ambrose is going about it, it's a little cheap and a little forced, I think. Now, we could talk about this all day, but now we're going to go to SmackDown, just quickly discuss some key, key things. First off, first thing I want to say flat out, that SmackDown right now is the way better show than Raw. We could all agree with that, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, basically, starting the show, obviously, was brilliant. I really loved it, the whole uh, signing for the women's TLC match. Becky Lynch and Charlotte right now are on a whole different level. They are on a level, like we talked about last week, they could be superstar of the year, and I would not mind. Asuka comes in here now, and I feel like she's in a position where she's going to get steamrolled. I feel like this is really going to hurt her credibility in the long run. I've heard rumors that actually Asuka might win this match to kind of shock the fans and kind of like have Asuka have the title for now and then have Becky and Charlotte just kind of beat the shit out of each other and go at it. I'm not down for that. I mean, I I really do believe that Becky Lynch is the person to hold this title till Mania or past it, whatever. But what do you guys think so far on Becky and Charlotte? Um, Do you guys think that Asuka is a possibility of winning at TLC? I actually kind of hope Asuka wins. And only reason why, because... I think Asuka can defend at the Royal Rumble. She won last year. So I think her going into Royal Rumble as a champion and then you have Becky and Charlotte go in the Royal Rumble match would be a lot more exciting and Becky winning would be even better. So for that reason, I hope Asuka comes out as a women's champ. Same reason. But like for me, um, the title, because where Becky and Charlotte are at right now, it kind of seems like the title's taking a back seat because it's so personal. So if Oscar were to take the title off them, would it be that much of an issue? Because Becky and Charlotte would still go at it, right? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about who the most over is with the title. I Well, not even that. It's just it's about how they position them. And right now, for me, Becky is the superior. Like, you could, you all, you could even tell, like, on SmackDown, the way she was, like, carrying herself, holding the title high, not, like, having that not-give-a-shit mentality of, I'm going to win regardless – I just I feel like that could be a sign of her losing because she's been so like cocky and confident and you have a girl like Charlotte who just turned heel but fans love her now which makes zero sense to me um I could easily see Charlotte I could see any of them winning for me um the thing with Becky is the chase so if she like she loses everyone will get behind her either way because it's the chase back to the title and you have to stay relevant and stay hot and that's another way to do it. Because then if Asuka takes it off her, and then everyone will be fuming because Becky and Charlotte's like the go-to promo. So you take the title off them, and then, you know, the chase is back on for Becky, and then there's just more heat to that. Would you consider turning Asuka heel, like, during this process, if she were to win the title? I don't know if they can. There's so many heels on that show now. Yeah, there's too, I think there would be too much because then... Now with Charlotte, you don't know if she's face or heel. She's like in between. Becky's like in between a bit, but she's more of a heel. 
if you turn Oscar heel, then it puts everyone down like below because they're a step above everyone else. Head and shoulders better because then you have Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville, and then you have Naomi. So I think Naomi right now is in a position where she's working with those other girls to try and elevate them more and being like considered better heels, like top stars. So. If you make Asuka heal, then you're taking someone else who can work with them too out of the equation, and it's going to probably limit everyone's ability on SmackDown. And then obviously the last thing I want to discuss, and this is a big, big deal, is Daniel Bryan talking about some random shit and getting heat just talking about history <laughs> and how everybody around him just – they're all goats. They're puppets. They all just – they cheer for the superhero, whatever. And just the way that this whole segment kind of came about, seeing Daniel Bryan in The Miz or the new Daniel Bryan with The Miz, it was kind of funny. But at the same time, seeing these two on the same page, to me, was excellent television because we've seen these guys just fight for I don't know how long. And you see these guys kind of like beat down on AJ Styles together. And it's kind of like... That was the funniest <laughs> thing to me. It's kind of like, okay... Is Miz, like, supposed to turn face? Is he still a heel? Like, I don't really... Because even when Daniel Bryan was talking, and you see the Miz's face, it's like he was kind of questioning. He's like, why the hell do I have this guy on my show? Like, <laughs> this, guy's, this guy's saying just <laughs> irrelevant stuff. I love how the, the Miz was like, so basically everything I told you to do, and now you're doing it, and you're champion because of me. Yeah. It's just like cheering, no. too. They're like, they're all, they're all cheering the Miz now, and it's crazy. Daniel Bryan's in the ring, and they're all cheering for the Miz. Like... I think that was the most surprising thing to me. It's just we were talking earlier about how you have Dean Ambrose come out and he wants so much heat. And you have a guy like Daniel Bryan who just comes out and it's just so natural to him to just be a dick. Just come out and just talk about how superior you are intellectually and you have the title and that's it. Okay, so the both of them, they're both talking about ridiculous things. It's just the delivery then for Bryan. Is that the main thing you're saying? It is, but at the end of the day, like you, you got to look at Dean Ambrose, and it's like, this guy is a master on the mic. You don't have to get cheap heat. You don't have to talk about how shit this city is. You already have heat. You already have heat. <laughs> just just do your thing. I feel like with creative, it's probably not him. It's probably like the script, but I feel like they're forcing too much on him, saying, look, like focus on the city, focus on their net, like their their bad traits. Just bring up, like, remember what The Rock did, basically, when he was... You know, the whole Hollywood guy when he came oh, back yeah. and he did the concerts. Ruthless. Like, don't do that. Like, you could do that to a certain extent. Like, obviously, integrate the crowd. I think every heel does that, though. Yeah. Like, like Elias was doing that, too. But, he, like, those guys are... Oh, can't but copy uh, Elias. No. With his music and that. <laughs> but anyways, I want to quickly discuss... I did an interview on Instagram with Tony Mango. He's a part of Smark Out Moment. Shout out to him. And he just... We basically flat out just talked about... Uh, SmackDown and leading uh, and moving forward, you know, into Mania and the Royal Rumble season. And he honestly believes that uh, Daniel Bryan, his opponents for Mania could either be Randy Orton, Samoa Joe, Andrade, Shinsuke, or The Miz. So out of all those guys, who would you like to see face Daniel Bryan? It's a lot of options. It is. Definitely not Randy Orton. I'll tell you that. Oh, yeah, that's been done. <laughs> okay, it was uh, Joe, Shinsuke. Andrade. Yeah. And uh, the Miz. I would love to see a triple threat between Styles, Miz, and Brian. I don't know if that'll go for the next fucking five months or whatever, yeah. but that would be mind blowing for me. 
I would love to see him in the Miz one on one. If the Miz wins a Royal Rumble and surprises everybody, comes in at like number like we've seen him before, last so long in the Rumble. If he comes in and like number five, number eight, or something, and wins, and then faces Daniel Bryan, and this how their roles are really switched. Him as a face and Daniel Bryan as a heel. I think that would be huge for WWE. Now it's crazy. We all want to see Miz and Bryan go out of the Mania. I mean, that's pretty obvious. I would love to see that. But basically, Tony, what he told me is there's rumors speculating that they want Shane versus the Miz at WrestleMania for that whole World Cup um, thing that happened earlier. What are your thoughts? I'm I'm really not down for that. I feel like. Just with Shane McMahon the last three years at Mania, he might be worse than Triple H with the stuff he's doing. Like he faced AJ Styles, like AJ AJ Styles in the opening match. In an opening, and mind you, obviously was fantastic because of the phenomenal one. He faced Zayn and Owens. He faced. Didn't he face Chris? G- no, he didn't oh, he face Jericho. Undertaker in a Hell in a Cell. And he match. faced the Undertaker. I forgot that happened. Yeah, that was. Uh, I think that one was more of a backup because he wanted Cena, but he still he went from Undertaker. Then he even Daniel Bryan's return to the ring this year. So he was part of that return match of Daniel Bryan to face Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Like I don't know. I I feel like if they do Shane versus the Miz at Mania, that's a big what if for them and yeah. what could have been. If that means that you have Miz and Bryan at SummerSlam, I guess back to back. I mean, sure, do that. But, I mean, I wouldn't miss out on this opportunity where you have a a face Miz and taking how over he would be with all the stuff he's done over the last two years. And now you have a heel Daniel Bryan. Storytelling, that would be fantastic. I, I don't see anything being more interesting than that out of all the options that he put out there. I didn't think this would ever, this scenario would ever come true. Like the Miz being a face and yeah. Brian being a heel and them still being involved. Like it, that really is Everything amazing. aligns for that too. And then the other matches, like with the other guys you were bringing up that he brought up with like Shinsuke, Joe, and uh, Almas. I think that would be actually good for the US title. Have AJ, Shinsuke, Samoa Joe, and Almas going up. Do like a ladder match. Yeah, like something like last that. Year. And have those four guys, that would be amazing too. So that would be two big matches they can have. I really do agree. I I, I, I appreciated um, you know him answering me so quickly, and uh, he's he's a very he's a very uh, very smart guy. Uh, he has his own uh, website, Smart Out Moment, and he's uh, he's he's very uh, very a part of Bleacher Report. If you guys don't see his stuff, yeah, yeah. so uh, I, I I would like to thank him for that. But uh, overall, in general, I would like to say that SmackDown is and has been the better show. I just want to get that out there. Um, I hope I, I hope we see Brian Miz go at it soon. And I want to see the Miz win the Royal Rumble because that yeah, would be, be awesome. unreal. But anyways, we're done with WWE. I just want to quickly go into the NBA because we saw some pretty pretty good games last week. We saw uh, we saw Kevin Durant drop 51, but the Raps still got it done. We saw the Raps lose to Denver in Nikola Jokic getting a triple double, which is something spectacular to see. And then obviously last night we saw the Kawhi show. He outplayed Jimmy Butler. And they won by 11. What are your guys' thoughts on the Raptors last week? Oh, my God. Kawhi Leonard. When people in uh, ESPN were saying, oh, yeah, we'll see how much he plays this year. I think he was watching that in the summer and be like, all right, Stephen A., we'll see. Kevin Durant comes into the building. He shows him up. He goes and shows why he's the best two-way player in the game right now. Then against Denver, they came back. They were losing by a lot. They came in, fought at the end, and... They lost, but we'll live with that. 
Then you see what he did against, like, just last night. That game against Philly and uh, that dunk at the end. Joel Embiid didn't even know where he was going. He swatted away at Siakam. Like, this team is unbelievable right now. And I can't wait till the playoffs. I, I just want this regular season over with and get the playoffs started because this team could do something special. I just, it's crazy to me how they are 21 and 5. We're now 26 games into this season, and we have a three and a half games uh, lead in first place over Milwaukee. And it's crazy. I'm looking at the stats. We're 11 and 3 at home. We're 10 and 2 away. In our last 10, we're 9 and 1. The only loss coming to the first seeded Denver Nuggets in the West. They're playing unreal right now. I think they've won seven in a row with Jokic and Murray going. Um, those two guys are very good up-and-coming stars. And I, I said this from the beginning of the of, of the year. I said Denver is a team to watch this year, and they're proving it. And But back to the Raptors, is this the best start in franchise history? It has to be. 21-5? Yeah. and five. I think so. And just the stuff that we're seeing from guys like Siakam and Ibaka and Kawhi Leonard is now playing a little more as the season progresses – you could have a bad game from Kyle Lowry and still win a game. It's amazing. As last year we saw, if DeRozan and Lowry were not going, we were rarely winning last year. And we had, what, 55 wins? Yeah. So you got to look at star power. DeRozan and Lowry last year, they were on fire. I don't know how many all-star appearances they have now. I think four apiece. But you add a guy like Kawhi Leonard to the mix. And, like, I get the whole DeRozan gone and fans being salty and – Oh, I don't want to watch because DeRozan's gone. He was our franchise guy. But you have a guy like Kawhi Leonard. The amount of talent that this guy has, and even if you have him for a season, it's still amazing to me what he's done already with this team. 21-5. and 9-1 in the last 10. The only team we lost to was Denver, who was in first place. So I have to ask you guys, after last night's game, after last week's game against the Warriors, do we really have a shot at winning at all? Yeah, you look at they even have more weapons now, especially with Danny Green in the lineup. So they have all the defensive presence that they had with uh, Siakam, OG, and Kawhi. But now you have Danny Green. You got Danny Green, CJ Miles who can shoot the three. Abaka can shoot from the top. Lowry can shoot the three. Leonard can shoot the three. So this is a totally like an overall type of team. They have the best of every single category and they're really showing it off against these teams like we saw against philly they brought out the three at the end and they just extended that lead even more and then that two-way game that siakam just swatting the ball away from uh, joel Embiid. we saw jv finally show up in the fourth quarter so a real talented team it's just uh Pinyo, i want to ask you a question because this is very very important to me in that Kawhi leonard is a guy where you look at him and you look at the talent he possesses and he says this is his team. This is you have a first year coach in Nick Nurse who going into this season I'm like what do you do with with this team? Like you have so many different options. Van Flee almost won sixth man of the year last year. He hasn't been nearly as good as he was last year, but again, he's getting less touches. So Kawhi Leonard, where do you rank him right now in the league in terms of overall this is stardom? A- very biased but i have him right at the top you have a number one yeah with 21 and 5 right yeah second best team in the league uh when i watch him compared to DeRozan, as much as everyone loves DeRozan, and i'm sure the three of us still do he's just the scorer like he leonard when i watch him does pretty much everything i was telling you before the podcast i was trying to compare him to like a hockey player 
kind of like a Bergeron. He just does everything. He won't like, he's not overly flashy with his skill, but he seems to finish every play. And all the players you said before, it's just, it's just a great mix and averaging 30 a game. And for me, Leonard, he might be the best in the league right now. Yeah, I think so. Because look at Golden State. They're all a collection of all-stars on the same team. So they're all fighting to try and stick out from each other, like Steph Curry and Durant. So you put that into perspective with like the Lakers and LeBron. Like They can win a few games, but they're not the top team in the league with all those rookies on their lineup and sophomores. And then you see Kawhi just absolutely killing it at everything. I think he is up there. And he's making a case for himself that at the end of the year, you can even be considered MVP of the league. It's crazy to me in that you have guys like Stephen A. Smith who say, oh, Kawhi Leonard isn't a top 10 player in the league. Oh, he's not He's not nearly as good as LeBron James. He's not nearly as good as Kevin Durant. I, there's times where I watch Kawhi Leonard and I see Kobe Bryant in him in that he will, he will basically shut down the game with his offense. He will, co- he will come down the court, nonchalant, dribble, whatever, step back three in. Uh, get another steal, go back down, another three. Like, there's moments where I see Kawhi Leonard and I see the defensive ability of a Draymond Green, and it's like, this guy could dominate defensively. And then you see, and he goes down the court, and it's like, this guy offensively can go toe-to-toe with KD. We saw it last week. He went toe-to-toe last night with Jimmy Butler. Before the season started, everyone's saying, Oh, who's the best player in the East? Oh, I don't know. Is it is it Giannis Antetokounmpo? Is it Joel Embiid? Last night, Kawhi Leonard absolutely dismantled Joel Embiid. I'm sorry. Kawhi Leonard right now is a way better player than Joel Embiid. Statistically, offensively, probably not because Joel Embiid, obviously, he's been averaging like 30 and 12 every game, but he gets a lot of touches. But you have a guy like Kawhi Leonard where he's on a team where you have to share the ball. Because the Raptors have so many options. They have Kyle Lowry, Van Fleet, OG. They have a lot of options. Siakam's getting better. But, but every game, he's getting better. So you have to feed Siakam the ball. So you have guys like KD, who, yes, you got to feed Curry. you got to feed Thompson. Draymond Green is only getting like nine points a game now because he shoots like six shots a game. I was telling you before about Houston. Um, James Harden is leading the league for a reason. He shoots like 30 Crazy amount. 30 field goals a game, and he makes maybe like half of them. And then he goes to the line like 12 times. So when you see what Kawhi has done, they have an 80% win percentage right now. They're 21-5. and five. For me, Kawhi right now put him – I wouldn't say he's the best in the game right now. I still think LeBron, after what I saw last night, he dropped 42 points. LeBron is just LeBron. But in terms of contract – and what this Raptors team might have to do to keep Kawhi Leonard, it's it's kind of worrying for me. Like, it's crazy. You have Matthews Marner for the Leafs, and now we're kind of in the back of our, our minds. We're like, hey, we have to sign these two guys. Like, they're going to want the world. And you're looking at the way Kawhi Leonard's playing right now, and it's like, he's going to want the world to, to stay here. Yeah, so Definitely a max contract. Now, does he stay here is an, is a whole discussion for another day. But right now, I really do love what Kawhi has done for this team. I really do love what Drake has done for this team. <laughs> because Drake clearly, I don't know, he he's... He's he's a great ambassador. He does all this stuff. He's he's great at distracting other players, you know, at courtside with the whole KD thing. Such a character, that guy. Um <laughs> 
this is okay. This is just one thing I want to talk about before we get off. Um, what are your thoughts on the whole like friendship thing after the NBA games? Like how like they shake hands and they dab each other and because when you look at hockey players, they just get off the ice and that's it. It's a different world. Yeah. I feel like that is the more appropriate approach. Like you see like like they dab each other up, they hug, they change jerseys. Like what do you guys think about that? Like well, I think in soccer they do that too and uh, even if it's a rivalry game like Juventus and Inter Milan, the captains will exchange jerseys. But before the game, I don't want to see that stuff. Like if you're warming up, I don't want to see uh, – DeRozan and Lowry before a game if it's an important game I don't want to see them hugging and going oh how are you as a family no no you're going on the court to take their legacy you're going on the court to remove them and put them in history as being like less of a player than you are you're going to go in and build a hall of fame career at their expense I don't want to see you guys hugging and dabbing and saying well where are we going to go later uh, going to a bar what restaurant what steakhouse you want to go no <laughs> save that till after the game before the game I want that look in your eye like the eye of the tiger like we saw he's going rocky I want that look in their eye that they're going to take that game after the game do whatever you want though <laughs> <laughs> see that's where a guy like Kawhi Leonard is so unique he literally comes out stone faced, doesn't say anything, does his job and That's leaves. <laughs> then you have guys like Drake, they're dabbing up KD after the game. It's like, no, he just dropped fifty on us. Like you yeah, almost beat us. Like why are you dabbing him up and getting his jersey and all that? <laughs> oh yeah, you know, my name's Drake, it's for the collection. Oh, Let yeah. me just take your jersey. This probably, is the game he dropped fifty on us. He probably has like forty jerseys of KD in his house. I get it, I get it. It's it's a whole different atmosphere in in in, in the NBA. You know, you dab each other, oh how's how's the wife? How's the kids, yeah. you know? Oh, LeBron, I hear your son's killing it in, in oh, high yeah. school. Like, it's, it's, it's dumb. But anyways, guys, that's it for today. Uh, make sure to listen. We are in the zone. Aulino, Pags, and Chris.